I, I get that people that only see the sport side of the uh, soaring might see it like that, but for us, we're a scientific platform. So what we're interested is in the stratospheric wave, and that, that starts at 35,000 feet. This is Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast, coming to you from the mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and bringing you great soaring content from glider pilots all over the globe. We now join Chuck and Barbara, the gliding junkie, and our new guest pilot. Hello and welcome to Soaring the Sky. Happy to have you back with us today. I also want to welcome back my co-host, Barbara. Hi, Chuck. I'm really happy to be here with you. Barbara, um, just in case people are tuning in for the first time and they don't know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, it's always hard to describe myself, but I'm a glider pilot. I, I'm uh, within the Czech national team, women. I'm going to Spain this year. I fly a lot. I'm a so-called gliding junkie because gliding is basically everything what I think about during the day. So yeah, that's me probably. Awesome. Yes, they can check out your Instagram account, uh, gliding junkie. Thanks for joining us again. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We have an exciting episode coming up. I am super excited about this. We are honored to be able to actually chat with one of the pilots of the Perlin 2 project. Now, the last couple of years, because of the weather and then COVID, they have been unable to fly and attempt another altitude record, uh, currently holding the altitude record for an unpowered level flight aircraft, uh, 76,000 feet. Absolutely insane. Yeah, that's totally insane because... Uh, when I remember the highest I ever was in a wave, it was 23,000 feet. And uh, the Czech record, I think it's uh, 35,000 feet. And now oh. they are, they're aiming for 90,000 feet. So those numbers are, are actually um, quite unimaginable for me as a wave pilot too. So <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really thrilled to hear the story. Yeah, as a wave pilot, what are your thoughts on this? I know they're going to Argentina, of course, again, because the conditions down there are much better to be able to attempt something like this. Yeah, well, uh, we have. I think that we have uh, way different conditions in Czech Republic uh, or in Slovakia, but um, Argentina is definitely wave paradise for for wave pilots. So, I believe that uh, they will they or I believe, I wish they, they will have uh, nice weather so they can actually go for the aim of 9,000 feet uh, record. So Miguel's going to get more into that. But yeah, there's a small window. As glider pilots, we think, oh, you know, I can't fly today because the weather's not good. But they, they just have a very small window while they're down there that they can get in the air and attempt this 90,000 feet. So it's it's super interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because the uh, we we have we have it a bit different um, during our autumn because usually we have our wave camp in Yeseniki Mountains the last week of October and the first week of November. It's still okay speaking about the the time or the timing and the sunlight window because we usually get up at. I don't know, five, 4 and, or, or 5 a.m., uh, then we prepare the gliders and wait for the sunrise. And uh, the first ones usually start with the sunrise. 
and the last ones landing usually uh, land with the sunset. And that wow. you th that can actually go to um, like ten hours of flying uh, when the conditions are actually suitable. So uh, I think that we have pretty impressive um, window uh, we can we can actually use. But I believe that it will be way different in Argentina. Uh, also, also speaking about the the um, uh, the high mountains because the the sun can actually rise like early, but it's still dark over there. So yeah, they have to struggle a bit with this, I guess. That, that kind of reminds me of uh, Gordon. I believe that most of the glider pilots know the guy because uh, he uh, actually used night vision goggles. Uh, yes, I saw that. Yeah, that was also quite impressive. Uh, that was also quite impressive story because uh, he, he actually wants to put some next level stuff flying up <laughs> with yeah. the night vision goggles. He already flew uh, quite impressive, not quite really impressive flight with uh, with the night vision goggles. So yeah, probably probably that could be also something that could help the Perlin guys. Yeah. But we will yeah. see. We'll yeah. see. Oh yeah, can't wait to get into this. It's super interesting. Before we do that, I do want to give a shout out to our new Patreon pilot, Reed Baldwin. Thank you very much, Reed. We greatly appreciate you supporting the podcast. You know, besides the time it takes, of course, to produce this show, there are a lot of other expenses like equipment, software fees, there's hosting fees. There's there's a lot that goes into it more than people realize, but um, I'm, I'm not one to... Uh, ask people. So I, I do try to mention it here on the podcast, but I do want to thank you, uh, Reed, and all of our other Patreon members that have helped out the podcast. Uh, if you wanted to, to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash soaring this guy. And you can also go to our website. There are some other options there as well. So we do greatly appreciate all of our Patreon members. All right, uh, Barbara, let's join Miguel here and, and hear what he has to say. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to to hear the story behind uh, the Perlin project, the preparations and uh, how it actually goes. And let's learn and get to know new stuff. Hello, Miguel. Welcome back to Soaring the Sky. Hi, good to be here. I'm excited to talk to you, find out what's going on. The last time we talked was, I was looking back, it looks like November of 21. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, and then before that, of course, you were one of the beginning episodes here when we launched episode eight. Um, that was March of 2019. Now, if you haven't heard Miguel's story, you need to go back and listen to that episode. Miguel, but for those that haven't heard your story, could you give us just a quick rundown, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my day job is as an experimental test pilot, um, and I work... Uh, for all kinds of different companies over the years, but mostly uh, in electric aviation in the last five, six years. And also one of the pilots and the flight test engineer for the Airbus Perline 2 uh, project mission, which is a, uh, takes a, a glider soaring in mountain wave up to 90,000 feet. Yeah, and the, the record right now with you all is 76,000, right? The Perline project has... Uh, the last three records were 76,000, before that 66, before that 62, and before that 53,000. 
those are the wow. four, four records that the Perlin set so far. So have you been taking part in Wave Camp? I know we were talking earlier, you're in Minden, right? Yeah, no. So there was no Wave Camp this year, as far as I know. I, uh, oh, oh. I regularly come to, come to Minden from Florida and uh, to work on Perlin. And um, I, am, I am here now. Perlin is on his way to Argentina. I am working on a different project. And what are you working on right now? Um, an electric uh, motor glider uh, that uh, is designed and has enough power to fly to the lower part of the stratosphere, so about 45,000 feet. Oh, wow. Um, of course, and it's still with Perlan. Uh, it's just Perlan is right now, just left the Panama Canal yesterday and is on his way to, to Argentina. Yeah, I've been keeping an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, Jackie uh, has been posting uh, where where is the container. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So I want to hear about all the details on what's been happening with the Perlin. Sure. So, well, basically, we we did not go uh, for three years because of COVID. Last year, we almost did, but then the Omicron uh, variant was uh, uh, too much of a risk. You know, going to Argentina is very expensive and it depletes all our budget for the year. So if if we go and then COVID is present and, you know, Argentina was one of those countries that was very um, taking it very seriously and, you know, um, they weren't allowing foreigners to come into the country for a while. And so we decided not to go um, until now. And now we're going to try one more time, uh, probably very likely our last time. And we're hoping to go from uh, seventy-six thousand to ninety thousand, which is the design limit on the uh, on the fuselage on the vehicle. So, what's the window they're looking at? So we're we're getting there around July twenty-second. Uh, some of us are getting a little earlier there, uh, moving equipment and so on, and uh, we'll be there until the middle of September. You know, historically, you have the best window is at the end of August but there's windows in the beginning as well. And then okay. sun in early September. Uh, this year is looking pretty much like that, but you have to be ready because you don't have many chances. The thing about the wave there is that you might have wave more days than what I'm describing, but the weather is pretty, pretty bad on the ground. So you can launch uh, basically. Um, so, so you have to be ready every day and hope that you have a blue day together with a wave day and, and you're able to execute the plan. Well, can you tell us all about the cockpit of Perlin and what's on board? Any new systems? Yeah, so the biggest two things is that we have some new um, scientific instruments, but the biggest two things is that we're going to have a TALUS uh, T-H-A-L-E-S, a French-made uh, satellite connection for video link and data link at high speed. So we'll be able to get our models live broadcast to us, and we will be able to broadcast image down to, to the ground. So people will be able to follow that through our website. Um, oh, the excellent. second biggest thing, yeah, yeah, that is a cool feature. Yeah, uh, for I'm sure. excited about that. And the other thing is that we updated, uh, we have more power on the batteries to support, you know, to support the satellite connection, you know, high speed satellite connection. So that those are the big two, two things that are new. We did a, a small campaign here uh, 
to check out all these improvements and, and make sure the aircraft was ready to, to be shipped to, uh, to Argentina in late March, early April. So you, you did some flights then? Yeah, we. I think I believe I did the first one, and then we did three other ones that I was not here for. Uh, I live in Florida, so for me, between work and family, sometimes it's hard. Perlan is in Minden, Nevada, and it's it's not really super well connected. You know, getting to Reno from from my house in Florida, and it's yeah. a twelve hour door to door, sometimes fourteen hours door door to door travel time. You know. So it's not, it's not yeah. like you can do it in come, come here for a day and come back, you know, you, you got to yeah, take it right. out. So the crew basically will be focusing on the 90,000 feet. Yeah, that is correct. We, we have been very methodically flight testing this thing in 5,000 foot increments. Um, okay. The day that we flew to 76,000 feet, the uh, wave uh, went to higher than 90,000. So we could have gone higher. It's just that, you know, we will be not following our own procedures of just doing 5,000 feet at a time. So um, yeah. now we have cleared the envelope below 76,000. And I believe if the opportunity arises, we will go to 90 directly from there. You know, stopping okay, every no. 5,000, but in a single flight. That's what I meant. So I don't know if there's a typical day in Argentina, but what would a day look like for Perlin? Well, yeah, it's winter there, and in July, days are very, very short. There's not daylight until around 10.30 in the morning, mm. and by 4.30 or 5 o'clock, it's dark again. So very short days. We go to the hangar, and we get the, the glider ready. There's uh, The tasks are at hand. They're broken down by teams. So one team does one thing, another one. You know, you got a telemetry team, science team, rigging team, rebreathers team, and... Uh, you know, each group does does whatever they're assigned. You know, most people have more than one task. You know, so you might be primary for something like I'm primary for rebreathers, for example, and pressurization, but I might be, uh, you know, also supporting flight testing and primary for flight flight test engineering, uh, secondary for uh, uh, supporting logistics with the tower and ATC. So most people have at least two tasks that they, they support. Um, so we spend the day at the hangar and then at night uh, we come back to the hotel. There's about 25 to 30 people there from the team. And normally we there's always a team dinner or, or, or people break into a smaller groups and go, go out to dinner uh, in the town. You know, It's the very low season when we're there. So uh, restaurants are happy to see us. <laughs> oh, nice. You get to relax a little bit. Yeah, not have a lot of crowd. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes uh, if they're, let's say that the glider is ready for a flight and we, we show up, let's say we're going to try to go at 7 a.m., we show up at 4 in the morning. For any reason, uh, we get a scrap due to weather or, or something else. And following that, we have two or three or four days of really bad weather, winter weather. Normally, we will take one or two days off and because the, the glider is ready, we will go out in, uh, and do a, an excursion to the glide, gliders or to Chile or some, you know, something that take, take the day off and take advantage of you know, the, the glider being ready. And then we continue. You know? So we do that for eight weeks. Now, what are the limits as far as the weather goes? I mean, when do you pull the plug for that day? 
So it, it could be a number of things, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as humidity, you know, too much humidity. We, we need BFR, BMC conditions, you know. Um, some other times it's winds out of limit uh, on the surface or the forecast on the winds. It's very windy in, in, in El Calafate or the, the wave starts to break down. You know, we send um, balloon sounds, you know, every morning and if the forecast look good, but live data is showing us that the, the wave is not there. So then then we don't go. So it could be a number of things. It's, it's threading this needle is, is complicated because there's a lot of factors, you know, that they all have to align. A typical season, we might only get four to eight opportunities, you know, and that's it. It yeah, could be wow. as little as three, it could be as much as eight, nine flights. So yeah, uh, it's very intense. A few times we've done back-to-back days, you know, where we have one good day and the next one looks as good as the current date. And uh, that is extremely hard for us to do a turnaround in less than 24 hours. Because, oh, yeah. you know, you have to charge, you have to clean the rebreathers, disassemble it, clean them, test them, put them back. You know, it's just really, really challenging to, you know, you ended up finishing the work at 10 o'clock at night and having to wake up at 3 or 4 in the morning to... Oh, yeah, that's rough. Wow. So we try that, ne- never to do that, but sometimes, you know, if it's the end of the season and this is the only opportunity, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. You try to carpet in and, and go for it and you are flying several hours so what do you do as far as eating and drinking when you're up there uh, normally you try to bring like an energy bar or something and take the mask to uh, out of the rebreather system and, and take little bites and then the mask we have a pour for water and we just drink water regularly so um, okay. and, and the flights are not super long they're they're about five to seven hours um i know that sounds long but you know here in minden sometimes we do 12 to 16 hour cross countries you know so uh six hours compared to a 14 hours is very very short but we had talked before the controls are a little heavier though on on the purling yeah they're heavy and um it's there's a lot of inertia on it uh it's very it's very demanding to fly purling you know after the fly you you are pretty tired yeah so even five hours it seems like yeah that'd be it could be rough it's okay Uh, i think uh, you get used to like anything else wings and wheels has been serving the soaring and sport aviation community for over 30 years they hands down have the largest and most comprehensive inventory of sailplane and soaring supplies in north america and they ship globally nearly everything you'll find on their site is in stock and ready for same day shipping Wings and Wheels is the exclusive American representative for HPH sailplanes. Be sure to check out the Twin Shark, their latest launch. They're also now the exclusive distributor in North America for the new Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. The team has thousands of hours of flying experience in gliders and airplanes. Staffed by Adam, Kelly, Laura, and Sean. A friendly voice will answer when you call or email them. Check them out at wingsandwheels.com. How are you getting towed up this time, just like before? Yeah, we have the egret, um, and we we will go directly to uh, the stratospheric wave. You know, when I do presentations in Europe, a lot of the Europeans, they, they don't like that. They kind of are critical of that. And I remind them that the first year and the second year, we didn't have the 
the group and and that we did tow above the tropical. I mean, we we did uh, fly the wave from ten thousand feet to above the the tropopause into the stratosphere. So that part yeah. has already been proven. There's there's no point on trying to do that. I, I get that people that only see the sport side of the uh, soaring might right. see it like that. But for us, we're a scientific platform. So what we're interested in is in the stratospheric wave. And that, that starts at 35,000 feet. So there's uh, down there, of course, here it would be much higher. Um, so there's not really any sense on towing to 10,000 feet and spending a bunch of hours trying to get to uh, above the tropopause, you know? Yeah, exactly. All that time wasted. Yeah, especially when we're already done it. If if, if you want yeah. to talk about the challenge and the sport side of it, well, it's already been done by us. So yeah. is, what, what is the point exactly? You know? Right. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, there was talk about building maybe a new purling glider to go even higher yeah yeah we're still trying to decide chuck what we're gonna do moving forward after argentina and okay. there's a lot of ideas out there um you know from doing a Perland three that could fly above a hundred thousand feet we know the wave in alcalafate is flyable by some something like us all the way to you know 140,000 feet or so um i know the idea is to make it a motor glider an electric motor glider um, so we're hydrogen aircraft we talked about we're, we're not sure yet we we decide to push it out to after Argentina it's very likely that the Perlan 2 will be um, uh, going to the Smithsonian Museum uh, to to be a hand there oh very nice and that will be, we will have to do a Perlan 3 nice well I'm excited this is going to be pretty cool that we'll actually be able to keep an eye on things and you have that link now, so. Not sure how that's gonna work, but I'm sure there'll be a link on our website. I'm, I'm not really super involved with that part, but yeah. uh, it'll be really neat, I think, for people. You know, we carry cameras outside and to be able to show images live from the stratosphere where you see the curvature of the earth and also from the cockpit and you see us how, what, what is that we're doing? And also for us to receive data, live data, which uh, it helps us a lot, you know, to, to find that wave. Um, we're covering a pretty large area of terrain, you know, something like 25 by 50 miles. Wow, wow, yeah. And that's not on tow, that's on wave. And um, it, it's not that easy to, to find the wave, you know. It's not like here in Minden that, you know, two or three spots or, or along the Sierras, you know, where you have a lot of historical data. We're, we're in an area that is not very well populated at all. So there's there's no population underneath it, so they can't generate any data because there's nobody there, you know. And speaking of, what are your emergency systems in case something would happen? So um, the main two things we have, Chuck, is um, we have uh, for the fuselage for the vehicle, we have a ballistic recovery system, a BRS, just like on a Cirrus, that has been tested right. for high altitude and for our size aircraft and that's if a flight control breaks you know like a wing right, or yeah. fly surface and the other thing is a recovery parachute which is a tail parachute is a, a an upset recovery system basically we get in a deep stall or we need to come down really fast because of rapid decompression or something like that on the cabin right um inside the cabin we have um, an emergency system that connects to the uh 
to the rebreather system that injects uh, high pressure oxygen into the mast directly. And, and that's supposed to keep you alive while, while you come down on the recovery system, the drug chute, you know, the tail, the tail parachute. Well, Miguel, when are you headed down? Um, I'll be arriving to Mendoza to drive one of the four wheel drives on Route 40, which I never done uh, July 17th. And I'll be back around September 14th. That sounds like an adventure all in itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people have done it. Uh, uh, Tim Garner is uh, another pilot. He, he's one of the two guys that flew the 76,000 feet record. And he and I are going to fl- uh, dr- fly together and then drive drive down this, this equipment and this four-wheel drive. Uh, the Route uh, 40 is along the Andes. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's just a gravel gravel route that you you can only do like 30 miles an hour um oh, wow. it's winter so it's a little it's a little more challenging than, than yeah uh, summer yeah that's, that sounds like that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun yeah we're looking forward to it now how many pilots are there going to be i know you go up in groups of two right yeah so we have the same crew as always we have four pilots and uh and uh, a total crew of 27 28 people or so you know okay. there's some local volunteers and some local argentinians that also work i mean we're pushing a little bit over 30 probably all together okay well yeah it's a big team well we're going to be keeping an eye on you thank you i uh, i hope uh, you guys do and uh, that a lot of people follow the the flights it's an exciting opportunity having this live camera and you know being able to interact with people on the ground yeah, that's that's excellent. Miguel, thanks for joining us here on the podcast again. Sure, anytime, Chuck. Um, I hope uh, this brought some new information to what we're doing this year, and we'll give you an update after afterwards uh, on what happened in in Patagonia this summer or winter. Absolutely. Their winter, our summer. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's what I was going to mention and um, get an update from you when, when you get back. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Wow. What an interview. Thank you, Miguel. That, that was incredible. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, that's actually something, something new to me. Uh, it's way different than just fun flying during our usual wave camp. And I'm really sorry for the guys that the COVID stopped the project for a while, because I think that we, we would have seen some impressive flights during that time, but yeah, uh, definitely. Also, as going to Argentina must be really expensive. That's it, it's not easy to actually go for a project some like like this. So heads down because yeah, this is really this is really a big thing. Yeah, and Miguel's I guess going to fly part of the way, and then he was talking about actually getting in like an SUV and driving. And some of the roads are like gravel and like thirty miles an hour. It's it's it's. That that journey itself, just to get there, is amazing. Yeah, well, actually, speaking about that, they have they have like few few uh, like a reasonable amount amount of weeks uh, to actually go for four or five flights. So they spend so much time just waiting for the perfect conditions that are not easy in Argentina to to actually find the the suitable conditions for for um, aiming to. Uh, 90,000 feet and 
then like all the waiting i always complain before uh, like uh, because of the waiting that we usually have during competitions or when we wait to fly and right. i think that this is like a basic stuff for a glider pilot even though uh it's a per- this big perlin perlin project so they have to wait a lot i guess yeah like literally a couple years i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and this project has gone on for years so we wish them the best of luck they're going to take us along with them this time if everything works out we're actually going to be able to get a video feed inside and outside the cockpit miguel was talking about that that is going to be incredible yeah i think this is something that will bring more people to the project because as they as they implemented the the high speed satellite uh inside the perlin glider um so they can do some live broadcast i think that's this would be really impressive to actually follow the whole flight if if the conditions are okay so yeah this would be really perfect and impressive Yeah, I'm going to put their website in the show notes here so people can definitely keep an eye on that. Um in July, I think what he was saying. Yeah, yeah, the 21st of July, I guess, if I remember yeah. right. So. And then into August. I think mid September, so they have pretty pretty a lot of time to to actually wait for the perfect conditions. So fingers crossed yeah. for them. So uh the gliding god, the wave god is uh actually nice to them and he can Uh, and they can actually fly the some impressive flights. Yeah, absolutely exciting stuff. We will be keeping an eye on it. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me. It's always fun to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Chuck, for inv- inviting me because it's always nice to hear new stories of uh, all the junkies, like aviation junkies around the world. So thank you very much for having me, and I'm thrilled to be within some next one as well. Absolutely. And we are going to be keeping an eye on you. You're headed to the Women's Worlds. When are you headed there? Uh actually I'm leaving on 21st of June. I'm really excited because uh there were many people flying in Spain this year. Uh and I talked to them about their adventures and they were really really excited about the the conditions over there because they even were able to aim for 4000 meters cloud base. So I'm I'm actually going for my oxygen supply as well because Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this this will be this will be handy over there. Yeah. So hopefully hopefully it's not like that. Uh when we went to Australia, everyone kept t- telling us that oh my god, you will enjoy it because the conditions are incredible over there and then uh we had the smoke and fires and everything and Yeah. We didn't have really anything close to the usual Australia weather. So, I hope right. that Spain will not be this case and we will definitely enjoy the nice weather over there. Well, good luck and fly safe. Thank you very much. I will do my best. If you would like to say hi and let us know where you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you are a glider pilot and want to share your aviation journey, Contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com or send us a message on our website at soaringthesky.com and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next time for another soaring adventure here on Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots podcast. Soaring the Sky is written and produced by Chuck Fulton 
Original music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton. Voiceover work was done by Michelle Perez.